Welcome to season two, episode three of Community as a Verb. My name is Connor Kaysen, your co-host here at CIAV. And next to me via the powers of the internet is my exceptional co-host, Mr. Well-Traveled. Good morning. Good afternoon. How are you doing, Mr. Well-Traveled? Hey, good morning. I'm doing well and um, excited about talking to you today. We have a pretty good, cool topic, I think. Yeah, I'm really excited. So today, what we're titling this episode, as maybe you already know, for those joining you, joining here, I've already clicked, is Why Local Elections Matter, right? And and Mr. Walt Traveled and I, we're going back and forth. We're a couple weeks removed, or I guess a couple months removed now from last year's election. Everyone's kind of taken that breath. We obviously went through everything that happened in January, and now it is time to be thinking about 2021. And Mr. Well Traveled, I want you to kind of introduce uh, why you want to talk about this kind of the conversations that you have had the last couple of weeks that inspired us to get back on track here with uh, talking about the mayor and why local politics matter. Okay, so uh, recently I was talking with some folks and I mentioned that I would had interviewed recently the very first candidate for mayor in Seattle. And the response was, there's a, an election happening? And I said, yes, <laughs> there's an election. Well, when is it happening? In 2021? I said, yes, it's happening in 2021. And so, you know, it. I recognize we are quite a ways removed from the, um, you know, November presidential election. I mean, it almost feels like it was years ago at this point. Life, so much has happened, right? Life has moved on. We actually have a new president. But there are elections happening all over this country at the local level, municipal elections and county elections, as well as state elections. But when we talk, we're talking about local elections, we're really talking about the um, city elections specifically. And I guess we could broaden that to county a little bit, but uh, I really wanna talk about, um, you know, who's running for mayor, who's running for city council. And the fact that some people, think that we are finished with election season. Oh no, we have a new election season that is just getting fired up. And I think today I want to use Seattle as our case study. Great. Yeah. And I was kind of in the same boat, just trying to like take that giant breath about like, all right, we made it through maybe one of the wildest elections, at least that you and I have been through. And so thinking about the next one is important though. Right. And we have noted it in podcasts, since then because we had our interview with ace which was great and then he uh, officially announced his candidacy and you make a good point the election isn't until fall winter at the end of the year but we also have the primaries that happen over the summer i believe the primary this year is on august 3rd um and the primary is very important because that is where we get the final candidates that we're going to vote for and turnout is so sadly low at all of these uh, uh, midterm and smaller city-based elections, which for me is is kind of weird because you still get the packet. Like it really, the the news that you watch is important, but but it really doesn't operate any different for us that live here in Seattle. We get the packet, we get the thing all in the mail. It says fill this thing out, sign it, uh, seal it up put it right back in the mailbox. And so the process really isn't that different. So seeing that turnout is so low uh, 
is 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 a little baffling to me because it is it, our city makes it as easy as possible to submit this. Well, okay. What do you think the reason is? Why why do you think more people vote? And and by the way, Seattle Times did publish um, some numbers this week on on this very topic. Um, I think it was what does it say here? Eighty five point nine percent turnout in the presidential race in November, but in the last um, election for mayor, or I think it was forty two point seven percent. So we're talking, you know, huge gap, right? Yeah, and half. So what, what do you think? What could you? If you could guess, right? I know you don't know for sure, right? We don't know, but what do you think contributes to that? I have my own thoughts. I'll share with those in a second. <laughs> I, I, I feel like the media has got to be, the just media coverage in general. You and I both listened to mm -hmm. Seattle Now this week and, and they had an episode dedicated this week to who are the early mayoral candidates and that's nice but I, i'm curious if it's a media thing about like what media stations actually cover it um is it mm -hmm. are you only watching national news are you only watching cnn and fox news or are you going and listening to como and king five and are those places even covering this kind of information now or is is it a later thing how are they covering it because obviously all of these media companies have their own vested interest uh and then lastly i think it comes down to also the employers who have from big to small have a big role to play in this process, whether it's giving employees the day off on all elections, not just presidential elections. We'll see if that continues to change, right? Because it's one thing to give the day off um, to vote for Biden or Trump. It's a much bigger symbol, in my opinion, to give the day off to go vote for your city council and your mayor, which I actually think is more important. Um, and I think that's kind of the our goal to show in this podcast is these decisions have so much more impact on our daily lives, right? They determine uh, a lot of the little things that we see happen here in Seattle, how we deal with these big issues uh, that are going to be cornerstones of the ballot. How do we dealing with a growing homelessness problem? How do we deal with coronavirus? How do we deal with our schools? How do we deal with the police, all social services? I mean, everything that the government funds uh, which is a lot, you know, that's like a billion dollar budget all get determined in these small elections. And when only half of the registered voters show up and, and less than half of the people who voted in last year's election show up, then that kind of skews the information that the elected officials have to make decisions on. And, uh, yeah, it's unfortunate. I'm hoping that this political revolution, uh, do we call it a revolution? Um, interest, mm -hmm. this political interest that is happening, maybe it turns into a revolution where people now see that their civic duty is to be more involved with uh, these decisions and discussions that I'm hoping this mayoral race, uh, you know, we, we have a much better turnout this year and people are actually involved. There, there's a lot of issues on the table right now. What do you think? Oh, I, I, I'm with you. I think uh, it there's definitely a variety of reasons, but I think the number one reason is the media, both the TV media, the print media, um, because that's what most people consume. That's what we've historically had in our in our country. There's also social media and internet media. And um, I think 
there are ways to think about that. You know, I don't, I don't use radio too much as an example because there aren't a lot of radio news stations anymore, but of course there is NPR and NPR, they strike a balance, right? Between national, local, and um, international as well. Um, as well as some entertainment type or in opinion type programming. And so I, I think that, that their approach allows you to get some information that you can use, right? But by and large, I think that there is a, um, a gap for people there. You know, if you watch any of the big um, news, TV news outlets, right? CNN, MSNBC, Fox, what have you, you're going to get very little local news coverage. Those are national um, news organizations. So then bring it down to the next level to local TV media, local newspapers. In most places, those stations and newspapers are owned by uh, out of state corporations who, as we have seen in previous elections and other types of uh, events, those media stations actually have um, their own editorial leaning and they choose what type of coverage they want to give. And then oftentimes they too focus on national elections at the expense of um, you know, the coverage of local elections. So you have that happening. Where you can really have more of an opportunity is in uh, independent media, right? But how many of us are really consuming independent media? I mean, we're talking about independent blogs and YouTube channels and uh, you know, social media channels that are hyper-focused on what's happening locally. Uh, I would say probably not too many people. And I think that's really the, the challenge, right? That if you spend 99% of your time only hearing about what's happening at the national level, you might not even know that there's anything happening in your own city. And I think, so that's what I think is, is happening here. Um, but even when I tried to search, just to get some information about what's going on in the election right now, there wasn't a lot out there. There were, you know, a number of articles about specific candidates, but that was about it. And it was very fragmented. When I wanted to know um, different information about the candidates themselves, once I actually could find a list, that wasn't easy to find either. But once I found a list of all of the declared candidates for the mayor of Seattle, some of them have websites, some of them don't. Some of them have social media, some of them don't. Um, that makes it really hard if you are trying to inform yourself in even independent of whatever media sources are out there. And I also started to notice that some of the media sources were uh, making a choice in who they wanted to cover. And to be fair, I recognize you can't cover everyone equally. That would be very challenging to do. But there are some candidates that have been in the race. There was one actually who has been in the race for a year. I, I did not know. Um, I think his name is Lance Randall, who announced last year. And I've heard his name come up one time, couldn't find any articles on him. He has a website. Ace, um, Andrew Grant Houston announced last month, lots of articles on him. Um, but if you just Google Seattle mayor, you get two candidates that come up in every article and they just announced this week. So, <laughs> and they 
to to be fair to them, they've been around for a while, so their names are out there. But I think also, if you want to know the variety of candidates that are out there, you're going to have a really hard time um, in in the way that the media, the the sources, the outlets that do actually cover the election, you're going to have a hard time even knowing who all of the options are because they are picking two right now today they have picked two that I can see and I think that uh, that's also something that's uh, a disservice to the voters certainly and it, I had the same experience right you, you shared with me a seattle.gov article and it was the ethics and elections commission and it was pretty much like here are the people who are currently campaigning and some links to their donations and when they have their general information, their website is or is not listed on there. And it was just shocking in the first place. All right, this is kind of a, a home base to go to to see who are the options. And then to see that a lot of people don't have websites was kind of like, how am I supposed to know anything about you? And and then it just gets my wheels turning like, what's the point of running? Uh, right. Like what what is your intention of doing this if you if you don't have a website? Uh, I feel like that's that's the place that you start, even if your website looks looks horrendous. You, you would think you'd put something up there to like stand for your platform. Uh, so, yeah. so let's start off. Let me read through the list, because right now we have nine people in the running for uh, mayor. I think this is going to get much larger. The primary obviously isn't until August. Uh, so people will come in and I assume leave. Uh, so we'll start with the bottom because this is as withdrew their candidacy candidacy is current mayor Jenny Durkin. We know that. But here are the people currently campaigning. I hope I get all these names right. Um, not, not my best uh, skill set right here. But we have Henry Clay Dennison, Colleen Echo Hawk, Matthew F. Irvin, M. Lorena Gonzalez, Andrew Grant Houston, Asuka Jacks, William Kopatich and Lance Randall. And like half of these people don't have a website when you click on their name. Um, and there are some people who already have donations and there are other people who have not gotten any donations or at least um, um, disclosed that they've re received donations. And we're starting to see, I know Ace finally hit the 600 mark that he is going to get democracy vouchers, which we've talked about in previous episodes. Um, and the democracy vouchers, I was looking at the 2019 um, campaign races, which were like for all the city council seats. And obviously these were on the presidential ballot. So they were the most engaged election uh, in modern history, should I say. And the democracy vouchers, I think, make a big difference. Uh, there are a lot of people who collected, uh, looks like the most I'm seeing is 5,000 democracy vouchers. And uh, that generates you $125,000, which for a city council member running, um, that's a lot of money. Total, there was only 98,000 vouchers submitted, generating $2.4 million. So one, I think that's really cool that the city really gave us as voters $2.5 million to just give out to candidates. Uh, I'm really excited to see what's going to happen this year is, and does that number get even close to having the just under a hundred thousand donations, but that's, that's only like 10% of the voters, right? Uh, that's not actually a lot of people who took advantage of these vouchers to support 
uh, the potential candidate. So uh, hopefully shows like ours help get the word out so we can better use these resources so we can all be involved in who we want to be in these positions. Um, and another thing I want to say, you mentioned only 47% of voters turned out in the 2017 general election. What that ends up doing is the people who are the most passionate about whatever side they're on are the ones who show up for these races. And a lot of times that puts, um, I feel bad saying the more extreme views on these platforms, but the people who have more passion in their views um, tend to get better turnout in these low turnout elections. And so then we end up getting this like uh, broad candidate or not candidate base, but uh, uh, broad views in the positions of city council or mayor or, or all these different positions that might not actually reflect the general views of the population, which is really interesting. And um that's why it seems like we have a bunch of recall um, campaigns going out right now, because I think it comes down to not enough people got out and voted. And so um, the true views of the city maybe aren't actually represented in some of those positions. Yeah, that that's probably the true, right? I mean, if you have such low turnout, um, definitely people have opted out of um, having their voice heard. I, I am curious about why that is still, I mean, it, you know, we, we talked about that just a minute ago, but um, I, 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 do, I do wonder about that. Uh, you know, when you do look at the makeup of Seattle City Council, it does, you know, pe people use a lot of words to describe it, right? Um, I would say that I don't think it reflects the population completely. Um, I don't hear, like, I, I hear very progressive views expressed by the city council. I think their job is really tough, but I don't necessarily hear that when I'm talking to just the average person. I think the average person is in Seattle, is, is, as much as people like to call Seattle progressive city, the average person in Seattle is less progressive than the city council. Um, uh, so I actually appreciate that, though, because um, the thing is at the national level, you get two choices and those two choices aren't that different than each other. But you start moving down to um, local politics, you actually get, particularly in city councils, you get a wide variety of perspectives and voices and people who are not um, Democrats or Republicans. You get yeah. independent candidates, you get Green Party candidates, you get socialist candidates. And so suddenly you actually can see the influence of different um, perspectives in policy. Uh, and I think that that matters a lot because if you think about how a lot of policy develops now, what I tend to see a lot is that the, the, the type of progressive change that we are looking for as individuals, the kind of things that you and I talk about, the kind of things that, you know, we just, we talk about as, as people like, wouldn't it be great if it were like this, or it would be great if education was funded like this, or if this policy existed. You, that doesn't happen at the national level, doesn't happen at the state level, happens at the local level. And so that for me is why that matters so much. And even in a city that you might not live in. Think about this, right? Seattle, you have, most people have heard about Seattle for the last year, all over the world because of the pandemic, because of how Seattle had to respond as a city to the pandemic, having the first cases, the first death. Okay, then we move to the summertime. We have demonstrations going on for months 
and and even to this day, right, there are still demonstrations, much smaller than they were over the summer, but there's still demonstrations. Um, how the city has responded to those have that has become um, something that is talked about nationally. Even now, I hear it come up on the news and, you know, when people want to sort of uh, say that we've got these anarchist cities, as you re recall from last year. So I recognize the impact that local elections can have on people's lives, even when they don't live in that city. The other thing is very successful policies usually get copied, right? So yes. in wherever you may live, whatever big city, if a policy is successful there because of uh, a group of politicians, whether the city council or the folks who are working in the mayor's office, other cities will look at that and say, we, we wanna do the same thing. The, probably the best example of this, plastic bags, right? Straws, right? Those bans happened at city level. Then you look around, 10 years, 20 years later, um, what do you see? Lots and lots of local jurisdictions have plastic bag bans, they have straw bans. That is something that I don't think changes. And I don't, I don't think people should disconnect themselves from the impact that that can have in the, in the world. Because not just the policies that, um, happen at, or occur at the city level or then copied here within this country. We see that happen all over the world and the other way around, right? So we end up adopting occasionally, not always, a policy or creating policies based on what other cities have done in other countries. I think that's a great point. And it proves the importance of the way that you vote here in your local elections and how those have very long-term rippling effects. And I think a lot of the yeah. issues that we're dealing with with the city here in Seattle are issues that every major metropolitan hub, in at least in America, are dealing with, right? Uh, everyone's dealing with the homeless problem, with housing shortage, with uh, how they're dealing with policing, um, mm -hmm. how they're spending their tax dollars, who they're taxing, when they're taxing, how they're taxing. Uh, it, it, any city you go to, you're going to have very similar, obviously there's uh, specifics in each one, but then those ripple out, right? Because if one city deals with the homeless problem really well and they figure out a uh, justified and reasonable response, I think a lot of people are going to follow suit and try to duplicate that process or uh, bring in those people who now have expertise to consult to, to help build, build that out with whatever the solutions are. Um, I was reading this article from crosscut and it was re referencing seattle's first black mayor um and his name was norm rice he was seattle's mayor in 1990 from 1990 to 1998 and he had this quote uh which i thought was interesting about the time it takes to actually make change in these cities and i think it's really interesting where we're talking about these issues and and i think the uh black lives matter and the defund the police movement are a, a, a good example of this where you want change you want things to be to be done but uh between the time between its uh activism towards actual policy takes a really long time and the difference between defining the problem and understanding the problem versus actually enacting a solution is also a really long time and these are big problems that require 
lots and lots of conversations and debates and understanding to actually come to solutions. Um, so because we live in this internet-based instant gratification society, I think we all expect like we need to have an answer now, like and we need to implement it now. And, and it's hard to actually get that because uh, dealing with politics and city policy and rules and laws of a city, state, country, it just takes a long time, right? It's there's a lot of red tape, unfortunately, and it, it takes a while to get those processes going. And uh, Norm Rice, one of the big issues that is always talked about is the uh, segregation with busing to schools was like one of the major parts um, that he uh, not only ran on, well, when he was elected the first time was one of the big voting uh, legislation, one, one of the big pieces of legislation that was voted on and he was elected and he had one stance, but the people voting actually voted against his opinion. And it was this weird situation where he got voted, but the, what he was supporting uh, was voted against, right? And so you have this kind of like weird position as a leader to come in and be like, well, the people are saying they don't want this, which was a cornerstone of my platform, but they did want me. And, and how do you deal with that? And so I want to read this quote uh, that he has, which I believe is from his uh, book that came out last year. He said, people tend to make fun of the Seattle process, which can be as slow as a banana slug on pavement. But Rice supports extensive civic engagement. He says he thinks every public college and university should have a department of civic engagement devoted to keeping the public informed and involved, studying the waves in, quote, movements such as the March for Our Lives or Black Lives Matter can move from marching to governing, right? And he says activists, he says, are good at identifying problems. Government's task is to find the answers. Um, and I just thought we're really going through that so much. We're seeing so much activism on lots of different platforms right now. And like, how do we take that from one to another? And I thought this was really cool that talking about departments for civic engagement, colleges are a great place to do this, to like be a hub for like, here's the information. Here's what you need to know. Here is the non-biased views of uh, candidates or issues that we're dealing with. And here's how you can kind of understand. Here's how you can get involved. And here's what you need to know so you make a rational decision. I thought that was really good. I hope um, I'm going to dive in more to see what's offered from here locally. You know, that's actually a really um, great perspective, right? That, you know, coming back to what we talked about at the beginning, like what are some of the reasons why people aren't going out and voting in local elections? Um, you know, lack of understanding of, you know, maybe the process of voting is easy, but maybe not really understanding how city government works, you know, why you should care. Um, I think that is something that was pretty clear to me um, following the demonstrations that for the first time, I think many people were hearing in detail how a city budget works because many demonstrators were critiquing the city budget. But who knows how the city budget is uh, created? What's in the city budget? What were some of the discussions that influenced the budget as it is today? And, uh, you know, I think that if you could centralize any place, I think it would be public education. 
I don't think it needs to happen though at a university level, although that would be helpful. Um, it could happen in high school too. It could happen in middle school. I mean, they, they, there's, it's very clear to me that that's not an oversight. That is intentional not to include civic engagement as a part of an education curriculum in, in public schools. And that is something that state and local governments control. The people yeah. that the voters vote for can control that. So if they choose not to include that in curriculum, that's not an accident. I don't know why, but you know, it certainly helps to maintain a certain type of system if people are not educated on how the system works. Maybe they would want a change if they understood it better. And I think that's where we are right now that many people do want change, but I don't think they quite understand exactly how to get the change that they're seeking because the system is complex. The voting part is actually rather easy as you explained, but as I mentioned, the barrier that I'm, I'm having was just Googling and trying to find some information about the candidate. So if a, if a ballot shows up, well, what am I supposed to do? How am I supposed to know who to vote for? That, that right there, I think there, you know, there is, um, there's a lot of opportunity in that. Um, we also live in a world where the next question is, is there money in it, right? Like, is there some sort of financial incentive to build it is it, you know, just doing something because it's the right thing to do or it's a good idea doesn't mean that it's going to happen or get done, which is why I think the media piece is probably going to be the piece that would be more important than the education piece because the education piece is then putting the responsibility on the same elected officials who either are or not, are or are, are not getting elected, right? Mm -hmm. So if you are getting elected and you're, you don't have a problem with this, uh, system, then you wouldn't necessarily support adding civic education to a curriculum. If you do support that, which I've never actually even heard any candidates talk about this, so this is actually a really cool, this would be cool if someone did uh, want to campaign on this. Um, if you did support it, then okay, how do you get it done? Because you don't control whether or not um, a university offers uh, civic engagement as a part of their curriculum to the public, not just to its students, but to the public. Um, it, it, it's a business. So yeah. what is the cost that they incur to offer this to the public and who pays for it, right? Is, do nonprofits pay for it? Is taxpayer funded? I mean, it, again, now we're getting into the process. We have to deal with all of that. And that takes time to figure all of those things out. You don't just pop it up there. Like you and I could set up this tomorrow if we wanted to as you know private individuals and entrepreneurial individuals it still would cost us something right so that is the thing um it's an unfortunate way that you have to think about things but um it is i think it's necessary when we start to think about what exactly is the outcome that we want and yeah and oh sorry no no go ahead you, you make an interesting point about the media. And these, these are actually the, the conversation that you and I tend to get into is, is yeah. uh, especially when it comes around business creation and, and how these things actually operate. The, the world, because of social media and the internet and the scale of the internet, media companies are almost having to create these conglomerates to survive because the, the models don't actually work, right? Like right. the models for us to understand uh, the truth or actually to get the information that we need are being either gobbled up, 
right? Or just not scalable in general, right? Because they're trying to operate off uh, ad revenue on their websites um, or ads on their TV shows, if that's what it is. Mm -hmm. And so these platforms have really struggled. So they need a big corporation to come in and gobble them up to sell more ads and help them scale that process, which is taking away from us actually understanding. So I would assume that over the last decade, the amount of local coverage is going down, 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 because they're just not the business models to support that. Now, on the other side, we are starting to see platforms utilize things like Twitter and YouTube and, and the social media to get their messages out. And they're monetizing pretty much through the same means. But at the same time, it's also uh, simultaneously creating all of these fringe groups. This is how we get QAnon to be so popular where we have QAnon candidates in our own state um, supporting these messages because it's become a new race and these wild extreme platforms and views have places like YouTube where if people take interest, they can build up really quickly. And now all of a sudden they have become powerful. And it's, it's a, a double-edged sword to have the opportunity to have these platforms that can get out great messages because a lot of the political uprising from the Arab Spring all the way to Black Lives Matter have benefited from these platforms of social media. However, we've also brought in an up opposite side contrasting with all of those and that's how we have this kind of q and situation going on as well um yeah and yeah it's it's, it's kind of a, a dangerous not dangerous time but um conflicting time with all these different media sources and then you see one youtube video and you see another which one are you actually supposed to believe it's it's hard to determine that because uh, pe people are very clever on how they present their facts and their information so that, uh, yeah, people believe things. We've all, we are all guilty of being led down a road of belief, which may or may not be true. Oh, sure. Of course. Um, but, you know, we've talked about uh, in previous episodes, you know, the algorithms don't help us. <laughs> they should help us. That's actually what they're supposed to do, but they don't, especially when you click down the wrong path and or if you you know what is also really interesting is the way people title videos i actually watched a vice video the other day and i think the topic had it was on space or something like that and it was a it was very clickbaity the way it was worded and so i i click it and the video had nothing to do with what the title was but what happens of course when you're on youtube right YouTube then starts to suggest videos to you that are along a similar theme. And so people get to travel down this, you know, rabbit hole, if you will, um, if they're not careful on a topic that they probably didn't intend to click on. They were just curious about what the video was. Um, and I think that that's also part of the challenge, right? Um, so I think I think it's hard. I think it's harder, interestingly enough, that's <laughs> so starting to kind of sort of come to a conclusion. I actually think it's harder to vote in a local election. I, I do. Now that I'm starting to think more and more about this, because one of the major barriers is information. Another barrier is education. So you may have access to the ballot box, um, but you may not have the other two pieces that you need to actually take advantage of your vote or make your vote, I guess, maybe is probably a, a better better way to, 
to, to think about it. And so if I am thinking about it in that way, well, how do we solve those things? And as we're talking about it, media is one way, but there are two sides of that, as you just pointed out. Education is another way, but that is, has its own complications. So what is a person to do? You could do nothing. <laughs> so yeah, that's I think, answer, right? I just, uh, yeah. Toss it. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and so we should talk about social dilemma and those algorithms and building communities online uh, in, in maybe in the next episode, because I think we, you and I have talked about that a lot and uh, you and I you know, play a lot of roles in that as well. Um, well, I feel like we should, we're kind of moving towards a con conclusion. Is, is there any notes that you took that you left out that you want to touch on regarding the importance of local elections? Ooh, let me take a look here. Um, you know, uh, I think, you know, one thing we didn't touch on was the, this website that uh, Washington State has that lists the campaign contributions. I think you may have mentioned it a little bit, just in terms of the amounts that are out there. But there are, interestingly enough, they're disparate, but they're disparate tools. There are a few tools out there, you know, we're talking about media and education. And so if you're as committed as I was in preparation for today's show, you can come across a few things here and there. And I think that's also part of it, right? That we, we our lives are busy and we require um, things to be simple and easy, especially when we're talking about web-based uh, tools. And so right now the tools are pretty disparate. So if you're looking for who's uh, if you're looking for the list of candidates, you've got to go to one website. If you want, if you want to know how much have they raised so far, you've got to go to another website. Do you want to know anything about their policies? Go to another website. Have they gotten any media coverage? Do they have social media? Now we're on four, five, six different websites. I don't know that most voters have the time for that. Uh, so, I think we have our work cut out for us as as folks who are, are, are thinking about you know, the value of local elections and getting more engagement. You know, that was, you know, when I uh, launched Next Up uh, City Guide for Voter last year, that was one of the big things on my mind was that voters really need to have an opportunity to really um, have a good experience when they vote. And I believe that that will bring more people out. Part of having a good experience, in my view, is being able to have the information that you need to be able to make up your mind and having an understanding of, of what you're voting for, the policies, how these policies would actually be enacted. What is what how what is the construction today of the the local government, and what would I like to see different, and how would how would that process work to actually um, manifest? And so, I think it's a a really interesting uh, space, problem space. Uh, but I don't know that there are is a lot of focus there yet, and I don't know. Maybe that's something we talk about more on our show, especially because we know one of the candidates. We had him on our show, and I would like to actually talk to some of these other candidates. For the few that we have been able to find some information on, let me tell you, <laughs> there, there are some characters, and um, I think it would be very entertaining at the very least to have a conversation with them, but also rather informative to understand, you know, why are they in the race? What do they expect to, you know, their impact to be, you know, only one person gets to win. 
So what happens when you don't win? What do you do next? Yeah, what do you do next is always an interesting question. And uh, right, because there's plenty of places to make an impact in the world, um, not just in these political positions. So what you do next, uh, it's it's interesting that when you, we're, we're here talking about these people. And so uh, just being a candidate creates a platform for you of some kind. And depending on what you do with that platform and the wave that you create, can you ride that wave into um, other opportunities in, in your life, whether it's politics or uh, in, in the private world is very interesting. Uh, and we will be yeah. continuing over the course of this year and season two to be following along with what's going on. We obviously have a, a much bigger vested interest in just being curious about what's going on and, and trying to divulge some of that information out to all of you. And it's, it's going to be a long year to think about oh, the primary in August. It does feel like a long time away from now. But when I think about uh, we are pretty much a year from the beginning or close to a year from the beginning of the pandemic, um, it's kind of like the year goes by a lot faster than you think. I mean, that's only for, for us, what, 10 episodes away. Uh, so it's really not a lot of content that we have uh, until we actually get to that point. Yeah. Uh, well, that. Well, oh, go ahead. Wait, before you go, I just want to give a shout out to uh, this group of young alumni from University of Texas. I have received word that they have checked out our show and enjoyed it, and they've been sharing the Spotify link amongst their group. And I, if they're listening, if anyone from the group is listening to this episode, thank you so much for uh, listening and sharing, and I hope you enjoyed it. And, you know, Ace, Andrew Grant Houston, who is a candidate for Seattle mayor, is an alum of University of Texas. So that is important to call out. Uh, please definitely support him. Uh, but I know this is the part where you're going to give a plug for how people can keep up with us and do all of that cool internet stuff that moves us to the top of someone's uh, ranking. So please do that part. And if you're listening, listen to what Connor's going to say next. <laughs> well, thanks to all those listeners. I didn't know about that group out there uh, in Austin. So thank you very much for everyone listening. Uh, shoot us a message. If you've got a question that you want us to answer, you're part of our community here at Community as a Verb. So we'd love to hear from you. You can message us on Instagram. He's at Mr. Well Traveled. I'm at Find Me in Seattle. You can also email us at hello at communityasaverb.com. Uh, you give us a Google and you will find somewhere to reach us. And uh, we'd love to hear from you. And thank you very much. If you're watching on YouTube, hit that subscribe button. If you're listening on Spotify or Apple Podcasts or wherever you like to listen, subscribe to all those things. Leave us a review. All the, all the goodness helps us so much in this uh endeavor that we have taken on of starting a podcast called community is a verb he is mr well-traveled i am connor Kaysen. we'll see you in another two weeks for the next episode bye <laughs>